The last sliver of sun started slipping beneath the tree line as I climbed through the thick branches, small twigs scratching me at every angle the whole way up. Exhausted and feeling more than a little vertigo with how high up I was, I made my way to the thickest branch I could find and slumped against the trunk of the tree. Careful not to lose my balance, I took off my backpack and set it in front of me. In the fading light, I looked over at a nearby branch and found a message carved in jagged lettering. This is the last thing you'll ever read. Now every town has its urban legends, creepy stories that persist from generation to generation solely because they give you chills. Growing up, everyone talks about the legends, but it's obvious that no one actually believes in them. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's the classics, like the hook hand on the car door, the woman in white on the side of the road, and that one abandoned house that no one dares to enter alone. In each one, the underlying message is clear. Don't have sex in cars, don't pick up strangers on the side of the road, and don't break into derelict houses. These stories are nothing more than cautionary tales to scare you into being safe. At least, that's what I thought. I live in Shady Grove, New Jersey, a small town situated deep within the Pine Barrens. If anyone has heard of the Pine Barrens, then they could probably tell you about the Jersey Devil. They love to talk about the hysteria of 1909 and all about the different versions of the legend and theories about what it could have been. Shady Grove, on the other hand, has a special legend all to itself. One that started two centuries before anyone had seen the creature flying through the sky. In 1907, a decade after the Salem witch trials ended, a similar but smaller panic swept through Shady Grove. Francis Goodfellow, a teenager with what we now believe was epilepsy, was besieged by strange fits that led the townsfolk to believe she was possessed by a demon. And fearful of what terrors might befall them if they allowed the demon-possessed girl to remain in their midst, they dragged her out into the pines and hung her from a sturdy oak tree in the center of a clearing. It was from the branches of what is allegedly that very same oak that I sat and watched darkness descend over the forest. A chill went down my back as my eyes adjusted to the moonlight. And suddenly, every rustle in the wind felt like an ominous portent of my doom. It also didn't help that I was outside after nightfall in late October, and so I pulled my hood up over my head and wiggled up closer to the trunk of the tree. Bark dug uncomfortably into my back as I did so, but it was worth it to feel secure in the darkness. It was nearly impossible to see the outlines of the branches around me in the moonlight, and I got the sense that I could fall at any moment. A few minutes passed in cold silence before I remembered the most important part of the legend. My hands slowly felt their way across the bark of the branch I was on until they found my backpack. Then, 
After a moment of fumbling with the zipper, my numb fingers wrapped around the coarse length of rope inside. I pulled it out and laid it in front of me, unspooling half the length over both sides of the branch. And then, next, the hardest part, it was the waiting. I still couldn't believe I was even out there. I'm not what you would call adventurous. I'm definitely not the kind of person who buys into legends or decides to put them to the test. I've always taken an approach of distant skepticism to our town's urban legend. Just because I think it's a fake landmine doesn't mean I don't want to stay away from it entirely. And it also means that I definitely don't want to kick it. And yet there I sat, a frozen nerd in a tree, held in place only by the knowledge that doing this might finally get Anthony and Jonathan to lay off me for once. You see, it had happened earlier that day in the school cafeteria. Tweedledee and Tweedledum were hovering over me as I tried to eat my lunch in peace, mocking me for whatever tribute I have that they decided was funny this week. Their current drug of choice? Telling the whole world just how big of a scaredy cat I am. Now, to be fair, I am entirely a scaredy cat. But that doesn't mean it feels good to be openly mocked in front of all my peers, none of whom particularly care for me in the first place. Now you may be wondering, what was Anthony and Jonathan's particular piece of evidence that I'm a little baby who's scared of his own shadow? Well, my refusal to do precisely what I found myself doing at that exact moment. Staying the night in the hanging tree. Now you see, the legend just doesn't stop with Frances Goodfellow. Shortly after her death, Frances' father, a widower who had just lost his only daughter to a mob of religious fanatics, took the exact same length of rope and hung himself from the exact same branch. And in the three centuries that have passed since then, dozens of people from the town of Shady Grove who have committed suicide have allegedly done it from the branches of the hanging tree. Depending on who you talk to, there's some neat variations on the legend. Some people claim that on foggy nights, you could see the hanging specters of everyone who's ever died there. Others claim that Frances Goodfellow cursed the tree as she died, and anyone who spends the night in its branches with a length of rope will be found hanging in the morning. I've never read a single verified account that any of those things are actually true, but the story has nonetheless persisted as our small slice of Americana. Of course, it makes perfect sense that the legend would stick around for so long, it has all the trappings of a lasting folklore. There's an identifiable location, ghosts, and even a supposed curse. It's even spawned an unfortunate euphemism for suicide in the form of the phrase, Gone the way of the good fellows. Now as is probably obvious, I found myself nesting up in the branches of the hanging tree because of legend. Everyone claims to know somebody who knew somebody who died after spending the night in the tree with a length of rope draped over the sides of a branch, and testing the curse has been a classic dare in Shady Grove since before my parents were even born. Everyone who grew up in town 
has been challenged once or twice, but I've never met anyone who's actually been stupid enough to go through with it. Well, I mean, till me, I guess. That is. Anyway, I adjusted my positioning a little bit, trying in vain to get comfortable. Only an hour had passed since I started the challenge, and I was already in desperate need of my memory foam mattress. My teeth chattering slightly as my mind wandered back to the event that started this whole misadventure. Anthony and Jonathan's faces loomed over me as I tried to eat my gruel, their sneers sullying my already meager appetite. They ran through the normal list of jabs and insults before deciding to venture off into the flavor of the week. My cowardice. They had challenged me to a fight the week before, declaring that they'd leave me alone forever if I simply managed to knock one of them down. It was a simple enough task, but for a guy as small as me going up dudes as big as them, it was practically Herculean. Now, of course, I never showed up at the time they decided on, opting instead to keep our conflict verbal. I feared that any sort of physical altercation would give them a taste for violence, and I knew that there was no way that wouldn't end with my arm in a cast. Because of my choice to bail on the fight, though, the two of them had branded me as a coward and a chicken. The natural progression of their taunting was to go through a list of all the things I'd never do because I was too scared. Now, normally, I could handle their insults and ridicule, but for whatever reason, they decided to get the attention of the entire lunchroom as they mocked me this time. And, well, that was when I hit my limit. I jumped up and I told them, I'm not a coward, and that I'd do anything to prove it. Well, that was a big mistake. Anthony and Jonathan decided that the only way to prove my bravery was following through with the town's oldest dare. My hands were tied. They had embarrassed me in front of the entire school, and the only way to end it was to prove to them that they were wrong. If I could get through a night in the hanging tree, well, I'd be a hero. There's no way they could keep teasing me after that. And if I refused, well, then there's no way I'd ever live it down or escape their bullying. And so there I was, two hours into a stupid night in a stupid old tree trying not to think about the number of deaths that had allegedly occurred in its branches. So, the rules of the curse were simple enough. If you stay the night in the tree with a rope laying across the branch in front of you, and you don't turn on any lights, then the ghosts of the people who died there will tie the rope into a noose and hang you from it. I mean, it's simple, elegant, and nearly impossible to disprove. You have to do it alone for the curse to work, so even if you do manage to make it through a full night in the tree, there's no way to prove it to anyone else. Anyway, trying to distract myself from the goosebumps on my arms and the growing conviction that the rope had already been tied into a noose by unseen hands, I allowed my mind to wander to the next morning. I imagined me triumphantly returning to the school and telling everyone 
that I had done it. I'd tell them about the carving and the branch, and I'd even leave the rope up there as evidence. Of course, now, Anthony and Jonathan would probably just call me a liar. Much to my surprise, though, I realized that I didn't care if no one believed me. I was in a cursed tree, going through with a dare that no one in town actually had the guts to do. It occurred to me that, well, if I could do this, then there's no reason to be scared of those two oafs and their meaningless words. I mean, after all, I didn't see them out here in the hanging tree. And the rustling noise somewhere to my left broke the silence, tore me from my thoughts. My head snapped to the side and my eyes strained through the darkness, trying to find the source of the sound. The rustling continued, growing louder as it approached the edge of the clearing. And I held my breath and pressed myself back into the trunk as tightly as I could, scared that it might be some kind of coyote or bobcat. I mean, the last thing I needed was to be trapped by a predator. The sound suddenly stopped as whatever was making it entered the clearing. And I leaned my head slightly away from the trunk to sneak a peek, and was nearly blinded as a flashlight turned on and pointed directly at me. Well, I'll be, came a voice that I dreaded to hear. Is that what I think it is? asked the voice's partner. Anthony and Jonathan had come to check in and see if I was doing the dare or not. You know, Mason, well, I never thought you'd actually be dumb enough to go through with this, Anthony called out to me, still shining the flashlight directly in my eyes. Coming here was a big mistake, Abernathy, Jonathan said menacingly. Fear and confusion washed over me. What was going on? You thought that you could mouth off to us in front of the whole school and we wouldn't get you back? This wasn't a check-in. It was an ambush. I stammered for a moment before the words finally took shape. I... I swear it's not like that. You challenged me and I accepted it. That sounds like a lot of mouthing off to me, Jonathan replied, and there's no way out this time. It's a good thing you brought the rope, Anthony said as the flashlight started bobbing towards the tree. They're going to find you here tomorrow, and everyone will think Francis Goodfellow got you. Now, fight or flight kicked in as I frantically tried to scurry down the side of the tree, my eyes not yet recovered from the sudden brightness. I found the first few branches okay, but quickly lost my footing and tumbled to the ground below, knocking the wind out of me. Anthony and Jonathan's frames came into view as my vision swirled from the pain. I was struggling to stay conscious, and that was before the first boot hit my ribs. The beating was swift and merciless, my tormentors only relenting when they ran out of breath. Get the rope, Anthony told Jonathan as my vision started to fade. Jonathan turned around and stopped, cocking his head to the side. It's gone, he said. The last thing I saw before passing out was Anthony turning around right as a noose swung down and wrapped around his neck.
I awoke in the morning and found the two of them hanging from either end of the rope, swaying gently in the breeze. <laughs>